Well, I'm doing a series of sermons called The Red Letters. And this is what that means. Most of you know. But in the New Testament, when you see red letters, you have Bibles. And if you see on the back or or the inside of your Bible, it'll say red letters. That means you have a red letter version. And um, when you go there and you look at the red letters, those are the words of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. So all the sermons I'm giving for a 17-week period are words of Jesus. That's the emphasis pretty hard to go wrong when you stay on the words of Jesus Christ. And today, we come to another story where he is speaking. I've entitled the sermon, More Than Enough, and it's about the feeding of the 5,000. You've probably read that story before, many of you. Now, this was such an incredible miracle that it's recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are many miracles that are just in one book or two, but this impacted the disciples, the apostles so much that all four of the, uh, the, those Gospels uh, record this incredible miracle. There was, the context is there was a huge crowd following Jesus. And Jesus was doing miracles and giving amazing teachings and they lost track of time. He tried to get away from them because, you know, he needed some rest too. He was deity, but he was in human form. And he lived life uh, knowing the, the struggles that we have. And he, part of that was even uh, getting tired. And as he was moving away, they just followed him out to nowhere and they found themselves in a situation where they had forgotten to bring food. And the whole crowd, Bible says it was 5,000 men, likely up to 10,000 people were there. They counted just men in the way they counted in those days. And um, so they're famished and they, they wanted to see those miracles but forgot to pack a lunch. Let's pick it up in John 6 now, verse five. Jesus saw a great crowd of people Climbing the hill. And they were looking for him. And turning to Philip, he asked Philip, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, it would take a small fortune to feed them. Our God is a God that's more, that brings more than enough, whatever the need is. We don't understand his greatness. Whatever your opinion of God However elevated you have him, you don't have him elevated high enough in your opinion. He's greater than you know. And, and he is about to meet needs and nobody even thinks about the way he's going to meet it. doesn't seem possible. The God of more than enough. My dad, years ago when I was a <clears throat> little fella, I had some milk duds. A uh, little box of those things, and uh, you know, I, I, they, I love those things. I don't eat them near as much these days. But I remember him saying to me, can I have one? I said, sure, and he took the box, and he pulled one out, and he said, is one enough for anybody? I said, well, yeah, sure it is. And so he gave me one and kept the box. <laughs> God the Father is not like my dad in that way. But my dad, you know, truthfully, he gave the box back. He's, I, I love him because he's a jokester, and those of you who know, know how he is, and he's fun. But one of the things my parents did for me, one of the things they built in me is this belief that God can do anything, that he can meet all of my needs. And that may seem like a small thing, but it's huge in the context of life as you walk through. Because whenever you find yourself discouraged, maybe even depressed, uh, you find circumstances not working out, the anchor is God can do anything and I need to look to him. And I thank my parents for that and I want you to pick that up. Many of you had parents who taught you that. Some of you didn't. Today, you need to know he's the God of more than enough. Let me pray and then I'm gonna share three things with you that this story reveals to us. Father, 
Lord, we are so finite in our thinking and in our minds. We see limits, but you are limitless. And Lord, you have a perfect will, and sometimes we don't understand it, and we think that your will means you're not present. But there are processes that you take us through. There are steps, there are under, there's understandings you want us to pick up, and lessons you want to teach us. And so, Lord, we open our hearts up to understanding and trusting that you're the God who gives more than enough. Lead us and guide us and teach us today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Three things that I wanna pull from this story today to emphasize, excuse me, and the first is this. Give him what you have. Give him what you have. John 6, verse eight. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? How do you meet the needs of a crowd of 10,000 when there's no food? You can't get to the city in time to buy it. You don't have enough money. Well, there are four solutions proposed. And it's kind of answers that we have to our own problems that correlates with it. <clears throat> the first was this. A disciple suggested that Jesus send the people away. We're kind of like that sometimes. I, I just want to escape this. I'm going to go away or I'm going to send people away. But that wasn't the answer because Jesus knew that it only caused more problems. It was dark. It was getting dark. And and people would faint from hunger on the way back with the journey. And so that wasn't the right answer. Second solution came from Philip in the test question from Jesus. Philip does what most of us do when we're faced with the problem. We start to calculate with our own abilities and powers. How can I work this out? Well... Human ability, counting the cost personally, wasn't the answer either. Philip said, man, it would take 200 days wages, and that still wouldn't be enough for all the men, women, and children. And then the third solution came from Andrew. You gotta love Andrew. You know, he brought his brother Peter, and now he's bringing this little boy. I love what Jose Zayas said about throwing the seed, casting seed, you know. Andrew, we don't see him as necessarily a great witness. We just see him as bringing people to Jesus and introducing them. He, he, he just says, hey, I want you to meet this uh, man who's amazing. And then he sees a need and he says, well, we have these resources, Lord. And he brings, he brings the little boy. But even then he said, I don't know what good that'll do. So that wasn't the answer of just, just uh, you know, finding out what resources we have among us. It wasn't going to be enough. But the fourth solution came from the response of the little boy to put all he had in the hands of Jesus. You know, the little guy could have said, listen, my mom packed lunch and I want to at least make sure I get to eat because it was for me, you know, so I'm going to keep one fish and one loaf. But he didn't do that. Little guy offered up everything to Jesus. Said, I'm going to put it in the hands of Jesus. If you want to see miracles in your life, put whatever you're facing in the hands of Jesus. Go there first. Instead of running away from the problem, that was one suggestion that was made. Instead of trying to do it on your own, that was another solution somebody was thinking about. Instead of looking to other people to solve the problem, go to Jesus first with your dream, with your problem, with whatever it is that you're facing that's a challenge. Put it in the hands of Jesus first. How am I going to make it financially? How can I pay these bills? Don't look to your own power or to others first. Look to Jesus first. Put it in his hands. Start there. And he'll help you. 
You may say, I have trouble with my son, my daughter, my wife. Don't go to books, don't go to people, don't even go to Christians first. Go to Jesus first and put it in his hands because he's the miracle maker. People don't do that. We participate in his miracles, but all the miracles come from the hands of Jesus. There was no miracle until it was placed, the bread and the fish were placed in the hands of Jesus. That's when the miracle took place. Not in the hands of the disciples. Jesus broke it and the miracle came and it was multiplied. 1 Peter 5, 7 lets us know. And let me mention this too. The sickness might be a problem you have and it's overwhelming you and you can't take it any longer. Put it in the hands of Jesus. You see again, yes, again and again and again until you see his healing, his provision, his purposes fulfilled. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about what happens to you. Well, Jesus is the miracle maker, right? He has all power. He can do anything and then he cares for you too. Why would you come? Because he cares. Because he has power. Because he knows your name. Because he'll do a miracle for even you. He used a little boy here to bring about a great miracle. He's so creative. He'll do it in a thousand different ways. You see the way it happened for someone else and you say, why not for me? Because he's interested in process. He's interested in your growth and my growth. He has purposes sometimes in pain that we don't understand. But he's always there to deliver, to help, to strengthen. Some of it might have to do with the repentant heart and the circumstances bring us there. That's good if we're walking in sin somewhere. to come to that place. Some of it might have to do with ministry. I mean, after all, Jesus died on a cross. And the disciples said, that can't be right. But it was the perfect will of God that he endures suffering and pain and even death for you and I. And when you know his greatness and you understand that he would never do anything that was wrong to you, you can trust that he cares and you can put yourself in his hands. And don't you like it that God used a little boy with a small amount? It's like he said, hey, little guy, come on over here. I'm going to make your day. You're going to be part of an amazing miracle today. He didn't grab a rich person. By the way, probably poor, the little guy. Here's how we know. They were barley cakes. Barley was the type of bread that only poor people uh, had. Rich people didn't use barley. They had other types uh, and, and better bread. And this wasn't the, a loaf of bread, it was more like a pancake when they made those, those uh, barley <clears throat> um, breads. And, and so he probably tore it, you know, rather than, you know, big pieces or chunks he's tearing off, it's just, he's just tearing little pieces of a pancake-like bread when he multiplies it. And this little poor kid brings everything he has and drops it all in the hands of Jesus. I like it that God uses uh, all of us, even the smallest and the poorest, to bring about his miracles. I remember a miracle that uh, the Lord did through a little guy here when we went through um, the fundraising campaign that, that helped us get here, the provision the Lord brought. A little guy named David Snyder. He was 11 at the time. David's in Australia now, and I believe uh, he's 21. He's with YWAM on a mission there. You might pray for him as he does the Lord's work. It's Ken Snyder, our worship leader's son. This was 10 years ago. We had a campaign and we asked kids to bring their gifts. And one of the coolest things was seeing the little kids be involved in this. I remember the day they brought their little white churches full of change that they'd been saving. And over 100 and 150 kids just dropped 
their little churches right on the altar. And when we brought the gifts, <clears throat> there was a day when David Snyder put his envelope, <clears throat> 11-year-old young man, in the offering. And it was it was unique gift because it, it, was a, it was a baseball card. And the story goes that David was praying as uh, he was asked to do by his pastors, even the little kids. And he said to his dad, Dad, um, I'm thinking about giving a baseball card because that's all he had that was worth something. And you know how dads and sons work those collections together. And Kenny, being a good dad, said, well, that's great, son. Pray about which ones you should give because that'll translate into cash for what the Lord's gonna do. So David prayed and he came to Kenny with his very best baseball card worth $120. Well, you know, dad's involved in this collection too. And Ken says, hey, uh, you know, you could give any of the others. You don't have to give, you don't have to give your best card. And David said, but you asked me to pray, Dad, and I feel like God wants me to give the best one. He said, all right, son. So David put it in the offering. Someone brought it to me between services in the envelope with this little message that says this is worth $120, the faith of a little child. And it moved me. So in second service, not first, because first was bias now. Second service, I pulled the card out and I shared the card saying this young man brought his best. Isn't that cool? Someone came up to me after the service. That someone's still here in, the, in this church. And they said, hey, uh, after the service, I'd like to buy that card. And I said, how much? <laughs> Not quite that way. <clears throat> he said, uh, I'd like to give $1,000 for that card. I said, I think I could make that call right here on the spot. <laughs> That'll be good. We'll, I'll sell it to you for 1000 so I, he wrote a check for $1,000 and I gave him the card and he said to me, uh, now I would like you to do something for me, Pastor. Would you take this and give it back to that young man? And it was so fun to go to David after the service when his dad brought him to me. Say, hey buddy, you gave your best to Jesus today. I wanna thank you for doing that. $120 card, but I, I wanna tell you what happened. Someone bought that card for $1,000. You should have seen him lit up, light up. And I said, isn't that cool? You brought your best to Jesus and he multiplied it by almost 10. And it's even better, David. The man who bought it said he wanted to give it back to you. I said, you brought your best, God multiplied it and gave you your card back. Isn't that incredible? And that smile was worth a thousand bucks that day from that little 11 year old. That's what happened in this story. A little guy brings all he has when he's hungry and gives it to Jesus. And Jesus multiplied it incredibly and gave him everything he needed to eat that day. Isn't Jesus amazing? Give all you have into his hands and watch what he does. He multiplies it. I want to talk about not just money, but everything. Giving him your life because he can use you. You say, I don't have money. Jesus doesn't need money. <laughs> Jesus doesn't need your stuff, but he really would like to have all of you. Give him your talent. Give him your gifts. Give him your resources. Give him your mind. Give him your will. 
give him control of the direction of your life. You put those things in the hands of Jesus and look out. You become a world changer. You become an instrument of God. Romans 12.1 talks about giving him everything. I love this scripture. It says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living sacrifice, living and holy sacrifice. It's true that it's a sacrifice to give him everything. But it's also true that that's what he asks for. He'll love you even if you don't give him everything, but you won't to get you won't get to be on the great adventure. Because what you what you'll find out is fulfillment comes and excitement comes when you join in his work. It says be that kind of sacrifice the Lord will accept. When you think of what he's done for you, is this too much to ask? It says in Romans 12:1. Surrender all you are and you will find an incredible journey that leads to joy in your life. Matthew 16, 25 says, if you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. What? If you try to keep it, you lose it. But if you give up your life to, for me, the Lord says you will find true life. That's what I want. I want true life. I want the best life possible and it seems like it wouldn't be but it's so true. The best life possible for you is surrendering all you are to Jesus. That's the best life possible. There's no more joy, no more fulfillment, no more excitement. There's no greater adventure than giving everything to Jesus. You say, what does that mean? Does that mean I surrendered the title? To it? No, it just means that you understand you're a steward of your gifts, your talents, your time, your treasure and you're ready to move wherever he says to go. And he, he doesn't normally ask for everything at once. But it's steps. And he'll ask you to do things sometimes. And they're sacrifices. You're a living sacrifice, right? And you make the steps. And you do the thing. I remember when Dave Reaver led a man to the Lord in, uh, in Vietnam. And um, that man was a, was a war hero. He had um, all kinds of medals and had been shot up and wounded and incredible and he went on to preach for Jesus and um, I'm not recalling his name now but I believe his first name was Mickey and, and uh, he was pervert number two in, in Dave's story that's what I remember because he did not know God when he was in the army and, and, but he came to Jesus and he became a preacher of the gospel and I heard him say one time at the people's church when I was listening to him speak that the Lord told him he was an evangelist the Lord told him to give up the title of his house to a certain family it's the only house he owned. And he did. He wrote the title over to them, left his home and gave it to someone else and three years later, Mickey died. You say, that's terrible. No, it's wonderful because when he entered heaven, he was a servant who had given everything and I'll bet he was really happy he did what the Lord said to do because it was treasure in heaven and you can't take it with you, baby. You leave it all behind on this earth. You can send it on ahead, but you cannot take it with you. And he sent it on ahead. Good for Mickey. You say, do I have to do that? No, I don't think so. But when you surrender, you're in for the great adventure, and it's going to be incredible. He will bless your life, and you will build his kingdom, and you will love it. Secondly, do what he says, even if it doesn't add up to you. It seems 
that he'll ask us to do things quite often that don't add up. They're not logical. In the natural, it's not a wise thing to do, but God is not the natural. That's not the realm we work in with God, is it? He's supernatural. (laughs) He's not limited. We are finite. He is infinite. A penny is the same as a billion dollars to him. Nothing, there's, neither one of them is hard. It's just, it, it's just as easy for him to give it all than, and bring it forward from wherever he wants as to give a penny. Because we think in, in limited terms, there's no limit to what he's able to do. So sometimes it doesn't add up to us in the human realm. But God delights to show that he's supernatural, not limited to our boundaries. He tells everyone in John 6.10, sit down. If you're a disciple or an apostle, you might say, why should we sit down? Because he hasn't done the miracle yet, remember. They can't even fathom that this, these loaves and fishes are going to feed thousands of people. It hasn't entered their mind. But he says, have the people sit down. So he starts organizing as if they're going to eat. And it doesn't make any sense because there's no food. It doesn't add up, but the disciples say, okay, everybody sit down. They sit down in the green grass. At least there was that for their table that day. And then he starts to do it. Even though it didn't add up, they sat down and the disciples organized them and prepared them. God did this because he wants us to know he can do anything. Often he makes the odds of having success extremely low so that he can show us who he is and what he can do. What? Think about that. The Bible reveals it and experience has shown it, if you've been walking with the Lord much, that he's the God of the 11th hour. Now I'd kind of like for him to be the God of the 9th or the 10th hour. That would work better for me, right? Some of you with me on that one? But I think I know why he's the God of the 11th hour. I've experienced it. Because we come to a point in our circumstances and our lives, corporately as a church, we'll come to the place at times where we don't have what it takes to accomplish what, he's going, what needs to be done. And then when he comes in at the 11th hour, guess who gets all the credit? Since we couldn't quite do it done, we're walking by faith, we're organizing, we're doing what he said to do, but we don't have it in our hands. And bam, here he comes. See, it's faith to get ready when, he, when it doesn't add up. That's faith. And in your circumstances, when you keep walking with him and it doesn't add up and he says, go this way, but you say, that doesn't look like a successful route to me, but you follow him, he comes with his miracles, often with provision in the 11th hour. Think of these things. God chose Israel because they were the least when it came to number. God chose David because he was small and young, yet he would be the one who defeated the giant. God was showing himself through that. God sent Joseph to prison because he was going to take him to the palace. God said to the stutterer, Moses, you will lead for me and speak to my people. The stutterer? God chose a barren couple, Abraham and Sarah, to give birth to a nation. I have water, brother, but thank you, yeah, thank you. God chose a barren couple to give birth to a nation. He sent a peasant girl, Esther, to the palace to save her people. God told Gideon, I don't want thousands. I only want a few hundred men. Because if I send thousands, if I I let you go in, you'll take the credit. 
and I'm gonna show you this is by my hand and they didn't even fight. God did it. God told a man to dip in a dirty river seven times so that he could receive his healing. Why? Couldn't he go to a clean river? When it doesn't add up, do what he says. Dipped in that dirty river seven times and healing came. God told Jesus he must come and die so that all mankind might live with him for eternity. And the disciples said, no, you're not to die, but it was the will of God so that we might be saved. He was the ransom for our sin. Do it even when it doesn't add up. Now, I'm gonna share some stories I've shared before, but I want those of you who've heard these more than once to understand that this is a passing parade at Horizon. There are many people here today that have not heard this before, and it's part of our history, and they need to know. It's an anchor for us. It's part of our story that propels us forward, that the things that God has called us to. Years ago, I think I'd only been pastoring here for a year or two as a senior pastor, and by the way, On the 17th of this month, it'll be 18 years since I was voted in as your senior pastor. And it's been so fun. Well, I didn't want that, but thank you. Uh, I'm just so uh, grateful that the Lord has allowed me to be with you guys. I mean, that's the privilege for me. Uh, You've had faith and believed and you've blessed me and my family. And it's, it's been a wonderful, wonderful and exciting journey. But about a year in, uh, a senior pastor, I was visiting a city Bible church, then called Bible Temple. They had just built this monstrosity of a temple to the Lord. And I walked in, and man, there were chandeliers and just a sanctuary that sat 2,500. It was vast, and it was cool. And I was in this building all by myself. I don't know why, but I love to look at facilities, and I can't drive through a town and see an abandoned store without thinking, hey, there could be a church there. It's just the way I'm wired. I like to see how space is used for God, you know. And um, so I was just admiring this facility and they were filling it with people and it was just cool and I was thanking the Lord for what he had done there. And I remember um, uh, standing there and and the Lord spoke to my heart. You know, in retrospect, you can tell these things because you say, was it loud? No, it, it wasn't audible, but it was very distinct. And And I, so much so that I answered him. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, I can do this in Tualatin. And I knew he meant us. And I sat down and I said, Lord, I don't think I can do this. And and the Lord spoke to me and said, I didn't say you could do it. I said, I could do it. And that day I fell on my knees and I said, Lord, if you want to build something great in Tualatin, then I'm in, but God, we need your help because I don't know how we'd get it done. Years later, two years, about, I was sitting in my office. Both of these are part of the call and the vision that God has given us the fellowship, and if you're wondering if I do all the direction for things, no, I don't, but God uses leaders. He speaks to them, and then he speaks to people, and if this church and these leaders didn't buy in, and if God didn't speak to them, we wouldn't be where we're at. Trust me, he spoke to most all of us as we move forward. It took courage for me to say these things in the early days. And now we can see some of what the Lord's done. It's a little easier to share about. But I sat at my desk two years later after that. And the Lord spoke to me again, a distinct impression, the whisper of the Lord. And I did not have this on my mind at all. God spoke to me and said, I want to build a great high school to glorify my name. 
He didn't just say high school. He said great. I think great includes the type of ministry and maybe the size as well. I want to build a great high school to glorify my name. Now, let me tell you what I knew about high school. Every church that had ever known that had any size or significance uh, in the realm of numbers, the pastors would say, and it was just the word that's out to pastors, don't start a high school. That's just the word that's out there. Don't do it uh, because it's, it's very, very difficult and consumes a lot of time. I knew that when the Lord spoke this word to me. And I'm not, people say to me, are you the pioneer of the high school? No, I didn't even want to do it. And the Lord spoke to me, here's the deal. You are and I am the servants of the Lord, right? We don't tell God what to do. God tells us what to do. We don't, we don't say, we don't pick an idea and say, I'm just going to believe God for that. No, it's not my vision, it's his vision. And since I'm his servant, why, why did we do this? Because we all bought into the, the truth that the Lord was calling us to it. It was his will for us. Just like he has a distinct will for each individual life, he has a distinct will for each church as well. And it's different. Every church has a personality and a different emphasis of ministry. Although Jesus and the word are central, they have arms and fingers and legs of ministry that reach out. And God said, I want to build a great high school to glorify my name. And I said to him, very similar to the first story, evidently I have to get over my doubt. You know, if there's no reason to doubt, there's no reason to have faith. Write that down, because that'll preach. It's not wrong to doubt, it's wrong to stay there and doubt. If you stay there, I mean, initially, you're going to have the temptation. You've got to overcome that temptation to faith. And I said to the Lord when he said that, God, I don't know anything about high school. And God said to me, I know a little bit about it. Let me help you. With fear and trepidation, but some courage, I brought it to the leaders. And the leaders said, let's take it to the people. The leaders bought in. The people bought in. And we move forward. Philippians 4.13 says, For I can do everything God asks me to with help of Christ who gives me strength and power. Let's take it to your life for a moment. What's God calling you to do? You know, I thought these things would happen faster. I was kind of hopeful for faster. But here's the thing about God's will If you miss God's timing, you're missing the whole kit and caboodle. He has timing for his will. Things take longer than you first imagined, but that's okay as long as you're walking in his will. Someone says, we overestimate what can happen in a year and underestimate what can happen in a decade. It's a pretty good thought when it comes to faith. It's a journey. What has he called you to do? There's some dreams that he has placed in your hearts that are from him. And sometimes as you move forward, you'll get bogged down and say, well, I did this and I did that and nothing happened. But he's the God of the 11th hour. And if it's his dream, it takes place. Do what he says. Be faithful. Someone would say to me at times, you know, you, you talk about facilities and, and it, um, really we need to be more concerned about people. And it's usually people beyond us and they're not very many, but honestly, uh, 
Um, just, I'll be vulnerable with you. It hurts me when people say that, as if I don't care about people. I'm all about people finding Jesus Christ. It is the focus of my life. I've surrendered everything for this purpose. And yet as a servant of the Lord, when he says, build something, what am I to do? I better be building something. I better be moving towards his will and what he says, and so should you. Even though it takes time, for me as we built, part of taking up the cross was doing a campaign, which I knew I'd be criticized for, which I knew I would lose something in people's eyes, and I mourned that before it took place. And sure enough, things were spoken and happened, but it's, you know, take up your cross, that's what you do when you accept the Lord, and that was part of my cross to bear, is being misunderstood and sometimes criticized. But let me tell you why we call them facilities. <laughs> the root of the word facility is facilitate. What are we facilitating? Ministry to the individual. We have a call to not only build a church, <clears throat> but to build an institution called school. It takes facilities to facilitate ministry. Renting a warehouse you, you can't do a school in there. God has given us these 40 acres that we're on. And the building of the facility is about the salvation of people. I thought of this in a different way this week. I think the Lord brought it to my mind. As I was contemplating that very thing I just spoke to you, I thought of Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark was a facility. It was a physical thing that had to be built and, and God had asked for it to happen. Why did God ask for the ark to be built? And you talk about not adding up. Noah was quite a ways inland building the biggest boat the world had ever seen, taking him a uh, hundred years to accomplish and, and people are walking by saying, what are you doing? Dry land. It did not add up. And yet he had the faith to go when God said go, just like the people were organized, sit down, it didn't make sense, and build, and he went. But what was the ark about? This physical facility was about shelter from the storm. It was about the salvation of mankind because they would populate the earth after the flood. And here's what I want you to know about the facilities that God has called us to build here. It's about the same stuff. It's about shelter from the storm. Do you know how many kids have been saved in that high school in the last five years? Did you know that for every year that I've been here in these 18 years, we've seen from 500 to 1,000 people come to Jesus Christ, make a commitment to Jesus. And, it's, and I feel like we're more prepared than ever to touch people, love people. I feel like you love people, that we're ready and that the Lord's church, I'm telling you today, we've only just begun. God spoke to us and said, build a church and school and here we are all these years later. Take, take a look at this video and remember this, it was 10 years ago, we had no land and no money. Check this out. While I was traveling down the road with my daughter in our car the other day, from the back seat, she said to me, just out of the blue, Daddy, do we really need to build a church? Do we, do we need to build a school? Kind of caught me by surprise, but I said, Honey, we don't have to do that. 
but our school is full. We can't get any more students in. We believe God wants us to build a high school so students can have a place where he can be glorified and they, they can learn his word. And I said, our church is growing so much that we're not going to have enough room for everybody where we're at. And there's a lot of people in this area who need Jesus. And without a vision, those people will perish. She paused and was thoughtful. And then she said, Daddy, do you think it would help if I gave my $200? That's how much money she has saved up. And I said, well, honey, that's between you and the Lord. But here's what I'd like you to do. Why don't you pray? And you ask God what he'd have you to do. And then when he shows you, I believe he'll show you in your heart. Then you give cheerfully from your heart what he's asking you to do. And that'll be enough. And that really, church, is what we're asking everybody today. Is that you just seek the Lord and you'd give it. Not under compulsion, but cheerfully from your heart. It's true, we need widespread giving. If all of us give something, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a great amount that the Lord will, will bring. It's true that we need substantial gifts. Some of you can do much more than others. We don't want equal giving. We need equal sacrifice. But if we'll all obey the Lord, we'll see it happen. We'll see this thing go up. We'll see thousands saved to the glory of God. And church, I just have this to say. Get ready. Because the next 10 years are going to be incredible years for God. Well, let's give the Lord glory for what he's done. <clears throat> I think I may go back to that hairstyle. It made me look younger, don't you think? <clears throat> Some might say, well, I'm not so sure about this. Listen, first of all, let me say that this, this isn't just about what the Lord's done here, but it's about God the multiplier. <laughs> Our story is pretty similar to what happened with the feeding of the 5,000. We had no money. We had no land. We only had what he dropped in our hearts. We only had our, our own resources to bring. And here's how we know it was the will of the Lord. Because he brought in $5 million of giving and brought about, after we bought the land, a $7 million transaction where 12 million bucks came in to do it when we had nothing, when we started. That's a little bit of a testimony that he was in it. Because if he's not in it, you don't get the money, I'm telling you. That's a little bit of a testimony that he cared about those that were driving by Boone's Ferry Road who didn't know Jesus. The high school, the ministry we've seen, I'm telling you, it's, it's incredible. Not just the church, but the schools. This week, I went to the first major drama production that the school put on, Fiddler on the Roof. At the end of it, there was a ministry component where the students gathered around and they sang a song of blessing. And the Holy Spirit was there. It was cool. And 700, over 700 people came to see the production in the, in the performances. Their very first production. of We only have a school of 135 students right now. And I heard one guy say to a friend, he came to see this guy's son in the performance, I've never felt anything like that. That made me cry when they sang. You know what he's feeling for the first time? Presence of the Holy Spirit. Our school is touching our community. Three state championships. Have you seen the Tualatin Times? There's like five pages of news about the state championship from Horizon and the, 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 the fiddler on the roof. I mean, we're on the front page in two places. It's just everywhere. And I'm thinking, people say, how do you get that kind of coverage? We don't. We don't get it. The, Lord, the Lord's doing something. He's showing himself. 
and this church, your love for people, your, your heart for people to know Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit here, we've only just begun. Now, <clears throat> I hope that blesses you for whatever you have in your life as a multiplier, that when you start with the dream, and it's his dream, he'll bless it. It takes faith, it takes courage, but it takes humility too to move when you don't have anything, when it doesn't look like it's possible. A year and a half ago, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> while I was on vacation, um, the Lord spoke to me again. And he said, I want you to get ready because I'm gonna do something again. And I knew he meant building. And my heart grieved. Because, you know, it's amazing what the Lord's done, but it was, there was a lot of elements that were very, very difficult, strained to be under. Some criticism. Falling short a little bit. Waiting for the God of the 11th hour. Overruns and costs. All that and the work of the ministry and people's lives on me in those few years. And um, it, was a, it, was, it was the most stress and strain I've ever felt in my life. And I needed a 100-day sabbatical at that time in the church. The elders were so gracious. They're such good men. You, you're so blessed to have the elders you have here. They allowed me to take that sabbatical, and 100 days was great, but it wasn't quite enough. I mean, that's how bad it was. <clears throat> but it put wind in my sails for the next couple years, and I, because of that sabbatical, I approached everything differently. It wasn't my work, it was his work. It wasn't my responsibility, it's his responsibility. I didn't ask for it, he asked for it. I'm not leading the church, I'm following Jesus. And those things I had to get in perspective and it, it just really helped me to just put it back, put the burden on the Lord, it's his. And so when he speaks to me a year and a half ago, see this was built about four and a half years ago I believe, somewhere in that realm. He speaks to me a year and a half ago and says, I'm gonna do it again. I just said, Lord, I'm always complaining when he speaks that initial word. But he knows I'm human and he loves me anyway. I said, Lord, it was so hard. And I felt like he said, get ready. That was the word, get ready. Not I'm gonna do it immediately, but get ready. So for the last year and a half, when we would find a donor who could, who could give towards it, we have been building the plans for a new building. We need a new gymnasium. This is still where we would worship. But our high school and our schools are overrun. We can't get them all in. We need a spot for our youth. Amen, Pastor David? A spot that's specific. One of the things we didn't get here, we thought we could work off the, the other campus and our kids meet at the other campus um, on Saggart during midweek, but we can't meet there on Sundays. It's just too much trouble and parents don't like it when we shuttle kids over and back, especially visitors. Think of sending your junior higher to a new place and just dropping them off and the first morning you're here, you won't do it. If you're wise, you check it out for a season. We need space. And I'm not planning on raising funds in this church. All I'm asking you to do today is pray as we go forward. I'll tell you what I feel that the Lord is saying to me. He is asking me to raise some money, but let me tell you what it's about. The Lord has put a tremendous burden on my heart for a work in Cambodia. And here's what I felt the Lord say to me. I want you to do my work in that foreign country 
And as the church does my work there, I'm gonna do my work in Tualatin. You build my kingdom there and I'll build my kingdom in your city. So in Cam- I'm going to Cambodia in six weeks to be with Ken Huff and Carl Ralston for a ministry called Remember New. They rescue children from sexual slavery. And we're gonna look for a piece of property and we're gonna build a building, God willing. We're gonna do our best to help them build a building to house those children on that campus. It's gonna be a substantial cost. But that's what the Lord's asking me to do. Oh, he's saying this other stuff too, but he's saying, you do this and I'll take care of that. I'm just telling you what I feel the Lord's saying. I'm on a journey and I'm telling you what he's put on my heart. He said, get ready. So would you pray with me? Several months from now, I think it's gonna happen on May 8th. I'll bring some plans before you for both Cambodia and the building over here. And all I'm asking you to do is, would you pray with me and let's see the glory of God rise up across this world and in our own hometown. We must fulfill what God has given us to do and it includes even facility here. A gym, a youth center, it's part of our call. We're gonna put a big new schematic in that lobby in a couple of months. It's gonna be for the building out of the 40 acres that we have. I don't know that you and I will be the ones that see it in our lifetimes. I hope I'm here at least another decade. I'm all in, I just want you to know that. I'm keeping my hand to the plow with what the Lord is saying to me and I hope you'll do the same. But we'll put that schematic out there and we'll have a scripture at the bottom because there's some wisdom we've learned in all this and the scripture at the bottom will include this quotations in his time. We know what he's calling us to, but you miss his timing, you miss his will. So we're just looking for his timing. And I'm gonna ask you to pray, and we're gonna have prayer meetings in the future that are specific around his call to us in this area and his call for souls. But it's about that little girl who doesn't know Jesus who comes to Sunday school, to children's church and finds him. It's about that hurting young man who finds his way into that school because of a scholarship and he finds Jesus and he becomes a world changer. It's about that single woman who's been divorced and abandoned. One of those women stood with me at this altar a couple of weeks ago and said, this church has loved me and blessed me and I just feel God when I come here. That's what this is all about. It's about those kids in this community that don't know Jesus Christ that are gonna come to the youth group and find him. That's what it's all about. That's what Jesus is calling us to. You say it's big, Psalm 44, four. You are my king and my God. You command victories for your people. Church, we've only just begun. We must keep our hands to the plow until God's work is finished here. And I would add this, he's only just beginning with you. Some of you are not called to come alongside in this. Some of you are visiting, some of you won't be here when these things are built. Nevertheless, take this truth of God, put everything in his hands, even when it's little bit, just the teeny bit you have, and watch him build and multiply what's in your hands. 
Put it in his and he will multiply it. Even when it doesn't add up, do what he says. He organized the people. They organized the people on the hillside. And then the miracle came. They didn't have enough to do it. But it was his miracle. Third thought today. He can do much more than you've imagined. I've kind of been hinting to that all the way through. He took that little boy's lunch, blessed it, broke it, handed it out to his disciples, and they fed the whole crowd. The miracle took place in the hands of Jesus, not in the hands of the disciples. Get it out of your hands and get it into his hands. He's the miracle maker. John 6, 11, then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, passed them out to the people, and afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate and they were full. Now gather the leftovers, Jesus told his disciples, so that nothing is wasted. What? Five loaves, two fish, fed maybe 10,000 people because women and children weren't added in the number, and 12 baskets left over? Amazing. He did more than they could ever have imagined. There were only five barley loaves to start with, it says, but 12 baskets were filled with the pieces of bread and peep that the people did not eat. I told you about my friend Mark Batterson a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> Spoke at a seminar, uh, an event that I went to, a ministry event, and I, um, I actually loved what he had to say, his story, but I got to ride with him a little bit in the cars. I took him from the airport to the Oregon coast for the event and then back. I was his transportation. And I know Mark because of Dick Foth and when we would go to D.C. once a year, for many years we did that to meet with senators and representatives of uh, a Christian fellowship there with, through Dick Foth. I, I don't have any clout or power on my own, so don't ask me for help with those guys. But I, I got a chance to sit with power quite a bit. And um, it was just a blessing from the Lord to see the heart of senators and representatives who truly love Jesus Christ. It's amazing. But Mark's a pastor in, in D.C., and so I'd go to his church when I was there because we were friends and met in seminary a long time ago. And um, Mark sent out a blog <clears throat> last year, and I could tell he was discouraged. Now, he has 22,000 Twitter followers. He's a prolific Christian author, and, um, and he's probably one of the most well-read Christian blogs um, today um, and I read his blog and I could see that he was discouraged because their identity was attached to theater churches they started in Union Station used to be a train station now a mall in DC they met in the theaters grew from four people on their first Sunday to thousands and now multiple locations it's an incredible story and then all of a sudden their legs are cut out from under them the theater where their major component of their church is says you can't meet here anymore it was their identity. They were the theater church. And Mark was confused. And I thought I could see through his blog, though he was trying to hold his chin up, I thought I could see some discouragement. So I called him. And I didn't reach him, but I left a message on his cell phone. I said, hey, buddy, just wanted to call and let you know that there was a day when the work the Lord had given us, we thought it was stopped too. Do you remember when the land was donated and then pulled back? And man, when I read his blog, I knew he was feeling that very kind of feeling. And I know how the enemy attacks leaders right there. Now you've done it, the devil will say. 
You got them all out there, you're leading, and it's not gonna happen. That's a hard thing for leaders to overcome. And Mark was feeling it. But I said, buddy, God did it for us. He did a miracle when it seemed like there'd be no way. See, the land that was pulled back from us, we're on it today. That's another story I might tell you sometime. The guy didn't own it all. He farmed it. And, and he wasn't quite right uh, in his head. But the Lord gave it to us. And I told Mark, he'll be with you, Mark. Well, he called back to tell me that the Lord really ministered to him with that message. And then in the, the past year, that was about a year ago, in the past year, Mark didn't know uh, one of his parishioners. They hadn't been going that long, but there was a man <clears throat> who um, with his wife called and said, uh, Pastor Mark, I'd like to have a meeting with you concerning church government and your structure. Well, Mark said he'd never had one of those meetings that were fruitful. I mean, that's, that's not usually a meeting a pastor looks forward to because everybody has their idea, you know, of the way they would like to see it done or where they've been. So Mark said, I almost didn't take the meeting because I'd never had a good one that was built around that. But he felt like the Lord said, have the meeting. So he did. He met with them and the guy not only listened to church structure, but he said, tell me where you, where you feel the Lord's leading you. And Mark shared about 21 locations in 2021 in D.C. Mark talked about their ministry on the hill because they have hundreds of interns and even senators and reps and people of power who attend the church and they reach out on the hill. And the guy said, I'm gonna pray and I'll get back to you. A couple days later, he called Mark and he said, Mark, I've been praying and I wanna give a gift to the church. And Mark thought, wow, this could be big. And he said, in my mind, in just those few seconds before he spoke, I thought of the biggest number that I thought could take place. And I thought, this guy could give $100,000. And he thought it because the biggest gift they'd ever had to that point was $45,000, a one-time gift when someone sold a home. And he was waiting to hear, hopefully, $100,000. And the man said, I would like to make a $3 million donation to the church. But that's not what he gave. In the end, before the year ended, the man, one man, gave $8 million. It seemed an impossibility to buy land on Capitol Hill. There was only one spot that was bare, and it had old buildings all around it that were run down. But God has helped them capture almost a whole city block, just blocks from the seat of power in Washington, D.C., they're going to write, uh, build a building that's seven stories high. They're going to have office space and coffee shops. That's part of their ministry. And they're gonna, it's going to be the center where the main church meets. And they're going to be all over D.C. with 21 locations in 2021. And you know what Mark said? Mark said, you have to keep the vision before the people. Even when you don't have anything. Because then God shows them how great he is and what he does when people follow his will. You may say, but pastor, you're talking about a dream and I hope you can correlate this with your dream and your walk in life. And you may say, but my dream has died. <laughs> hey man, this dream's been close to death a couple times. I don't know any ministry worth its salt that just had all cruising on their way to great success and victory. This is a battle. Remember what my friend Pastor Troy said in Renton. 
that we're not on a cruise ship. This is a battleship. I mean, we fight for the work of the Lord, not flesh and blood fight, but in the spiritual realm. And here's what I would say to you if your dream hasn't taken place and you're wondering, is it going to happen? I would say this, if God is in it and you stay with it in his time, it will happen. Don't give up. I want to say that again. If God is in it and you stay with it in his time, it will happen. Don't give up. We underestimate what God can do in the long term with our lives if we'll just be faithful. Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now glory be to God. By his mighty power at work within us, he is able to accomplish infinitely more than we could ever dare to ask or hope for. Infinitely more than we could, another version says, think of? I can dare and think of some amazing great things the Lord can do and evidently I can't even get close to what he wants to do. Even with my dreamer's mind, he'll do greater things than we've ever dared to think or ask for. He multiplied the loaves and the fishes. Not only were the people fed and satisfied, but the disciples salvaged 12 baskets of fragments for future use. I want to close with this thought. When you give him all you have, then he gives you all he has. That is really a remarkable exchange. Give him all you have. He'll give you all he has. And you come out on the good end of that one.